Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services provider for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools, and data that helps to power their emerging markets business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is post-merger integration. My name is Chris Moore, and I'm FSG's Director of Research for Asia. And joining me today is David Hodge. David is one of our expert advisors. Um, He's the principal of Pallades Pacific Consulting based in Singapore and is also executive director at Fetch Plus Inc. Previously, David held various business development and strategic development roles throughout a 15-year career with Amcor, one of the world's largest packaging companies. He was a key member of the transaction team for Amcor's three largest acquisitions and has completed M&A transactions in 10 separate countries in Asia. Uh, So, David, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for the opportunity. Looking forward to our discussion. Great. Well, I'd like to to dive right into it. And the first question I had for you is, what do you see as being the key priorities or challenges for post-merger integration? Chris, the way I think of it, uh, these fall into four uh, areas, not necessarily in any order. Firstly, retaining and growing customers and sales. Secondly, aligning uh, the organisations that are the subject of the merger. Thirdly, capturing synergies. And finally, managing what I call noise. Uh, Let me just elaborate briefly on those. Given in any merger there's potential for customer churn, um, it's critical to understand customers' needs. And there may, of course, be different interpretations of this, even where two businesses service common customers. But once this critical platform is established, the merged company can then assess its differentiated capability to meet those needs and develop appropriate segmentation, value proposition and pricing strategies to help retain and grow customers and sales. The second area I mentioned, organisational alignment, is far-reaching as it touches all aspects of the merged operations and affects key stakeholders both internally and externally. Creating a shared vision at an early stage and communicating this clearly is an essential element to success of any merger. Turning to capturing synergies, one of the key challenges is identifying what are truly the costs and benefits of the merger versus uh, what forms part of the underlying operational performance. Companies that are better able to understand this dynamic going forward, in my experience, are better placed to capture the benefits of a merger. And finally, there's always uh, non-core issues in any merger, such as uh, separation issues or non-core assets to take care of. And if this uh, noise is not recognised and managed appropriately, it can turn into a millstone and detract from uh, the company getting the key benefits of a merger. So uh, of those four areas, do you tend to see companies struggle with one more than the others? And, and why, why do you think that's the case? Yeah, look, Chris, I think the, the area that companies struggle with the most is uh, the second one I mentioned, which is aligning the organisation. Um, 
the other areas tend to be more identifiable and measurable, uh, whilst organisational alignment involves more intangible uh, aspects. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, tends to um, touch all aspects of both sides of the organisations that are the subject of the mergers. It's also easier to make assumptions that are reasonable about the other three areas. Um, companies tend to have a knowledge base about customers they're servicing, but also customers of, uh, that their competitors are servicing. And they can tend to easily uh, make assumptions about the costs and benefits of a merger and the non-core issues. Uh, the analysis for each of these areas can be refined throughout the due diligence period and beyond as further and better information becomes available. Uh, but on the contrary, it's less easy to build a knowledge base around the organisations until they are part of the same uh, business. It's also easier to put in place quantifiable metrics that allow the MERS entity to track and report progress in each of the other three areas. And there tends to be a strong focus on what can be quantified and translated directly into financial reporting. And I think finally, the other contributing factor is simply the human element, which transcends the entire organisation. Each and every person on both sides of a merger always wonders how it will affect me. And there are many preconceived ideas and views about the other company that forms part of the merger. Interesting. And in emerging markets, we're probably looking at combinations of businesses that involve very different cultures. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for managing those cultural differences to get the best outcomes. Yes, look, I think there are a number of things um, that companies need to focus on around this issue, Chris. Um, the most important um, is uh, creating a shared vision. Um, Making sure that uh, you know that's communicated uh, very clearly um, to the companies um, that are the subject of the merger. Um, I think there's probably a couple of uh, differentiating features in emerging markets which I'll touch on, but more generally, I find that the the best approach is to foster a transformation rather than a combination mindset. Um, so looking at uh, you know looking at a company taking the opportunity to move forward and create something new and different rather than looking at uh, you know, an us and them mentality of combining. I think in terms of um, emerging markets, one of the key issues is the pace of integration. Um, and I mean, here I mean you know, the speed versus the learnings. In my experience um, in the Asia Pacific region and China in particular, Often it's better to take a more cautious approach around integration and to uh, have a, a, a transformation across a period of time where the, the acquiring company takes time and is patient about learning about the um, company that, it's been, that is being acquired and doesn't seek to rush in and impose um, its, own, its own methodologies and put its own people in too quickly. I think this is important because um, it allows uh, it allows both sides to get a better understanding, and um, things work a little bit differently in these markets, as you know, Chris. And um, I think it's a, it's a case of um, 
being a little bit more patient. Um, but I think the most important uh, issue around um, managing cultural differences is communication. Companies need to uh, communicate often and very openly. And communication is an operative word. Um, and I think companies uh, tend to forget that sometimes to their detriment. There are some other issues that probably um, come up in emerging markets a little more, which include uh, managing related party transactions. It's not unusual for companies to have uh, relationships with suppliers and uh, sales agents and distributors that perhaps um, aren't necessarily known at the time of the merger and uh, they're areas that can be um, fairly sensitive as the acquired company is generating profits outside of the acquired entity. So um, that's another area to be uh, cautious about. And at the end of the day, I think most companies would agree that, that growth is ultimately the, the hope for outcome from a merger. Do you have any recommendations around uh, making sure that you actually achieve that growth? I think absolutely growth is a, is a key priority. Um, in my experience, uh, one of the things companies can do is put in place a, uh, a growth framework. Um, and uh, they have an opportunity with a merger to you know, take a uh, clean sheet approach. And um, by putting in place a, a growth framework, uh, the key issue is to try and be more objective and less subjective about the markets that you're operating in. Uh, so the, the growth framework is, is, um, is intended to be a rigorous, comprehensive, fact-based assessment of growth. Um, obviously starting with existing data sources and information but further validating that and refining it as you get new data. And this can be applied consistently across all business units, markets and, and countries. Um, and what that does for a business um, is it allows them to look at a number of key issues around country fundamentals, market attractiveness and competitive position and come up with um, a ranking system and weighting for each of those criteria to give a, um, a participation strategy matrix around the, um, the key opportunities for, for the merged entity. David, could you maybe take us through, through that approach in a little bit more detail? Sure, Chris. Um, what what I recommend is that companies prepare an assessment of growth opportunities um, by country or region down to the smallest relevant business unit sub-segment level. So what this uh, involves is looking at um, a number of factors. One is country fundamentals, uh, which are the um, investment fundamentals for a range of different countries. Secondly, the market attractiveness in each of those markets, and thirdly, um, the competitive position of the business in those markets. And um, what you do is you formulate a ranking system and a weighting for each uh, criteria that you come up with, and then you plot, um, plot the outputs on an attractiveness and participation strategy matrix, um, which then allows you to have a look at the growth opportunities on a more objective basis and gives you um, some guidelines and, uh, 
and something that allows you to compare different growth opportunities across uh, different parts of your business. So looking at, at the key outputs from implementing this, this strategic growth framework, um, you know, what do those look like and, and how do companies benefit from those? Okay, there's two key outputs. Um, firstly, uh, you come up with what we call a heat map, um, which is basically a traffic light approach, which looks at, um, you know, down the left-hand side, um, all of the countries or uh, regions that you might be interested in. Um, and then across the top, looks at the relevant business unit or even sub-segment uh, of a business unit. And that heat map will quickly show you, um, based on you know green, yellow, and red, where the most attractive um, opportunities are for the merged business um, in terms of growth, based on the criteria that you have developed yourselves that are most relevant to your business, um, and, that, and that you and your teams have worked through. So it it, it purports to take the subjectivity out of the decisions around allocating capital for growth. The second key output um, is a segment participation uh, matrix. And what we do here is we plot um, on a matrix um, with one axis being market attractiveness and the other being the competitive position of the business and come up with, um, you know, in the top right quadrant, the sweet spot, um, in the bottom left, the unattractive space, um, in the uh, top left, the opportunity spaces, and in the bottom right, the focused spaces. And that gives you an instant um, participation strategy guidelines for each of those sub-segments in each of those regions or countries that you've looked at. What this does, it allows you to manage your capital in terms of your growth opportunities. So the highest priority for growth capital is in the top right where the sweet spots are and strategies are driven around um, uh, improving industry structure or some unique value proposition. Uh, in your focused space, you're going to um, try to milk that and preserve the value, not necessarily grow it, so it's more a maintenance capital approach. The opportunity spaces um, involve things that uh, could could give you strategies to improve your market position or the industry structure or create some unique value proposition and you need to allocate capital to support those opportunities. Um, but even in the unattractive space, um, sometimes um, stopping the bleeding um, or supporting profit improvement plans can be you know, the best use of capital and give you the highest return if you're successful with that. So this is a key output um, in that it gives you on one piece of paper um, a matrix that allows you to allocate capital to support the strategies that come out of the growth framework. David, I really want to thank you for, for sharing so many great insights with us and, and especially for sharing that, that strategic growth framework. I think that's something that a lot of our clients could benefit from. Um, so thanks again for, for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity. I also want to mention to our clients uh, at FSG that David is available for one-on-one -on -one conversations with you. Uh, just reach out to your account manager if you'd like to speak with David and, and get a little bit more detail uh, around that strategic growth framework. Uh, I'd like to thank, thank you all for listening, and, and this concludes our podcast.